I am a blessed man to get to be involved in what God is doing around the world. I want to introduce my wife, Linda, come in September. Come September, we are celebrating 47 years of marriage, which nowadays is a real testimony. So we, we got married very young, by the way. But I, I want you to know that we, uh, Linda and I, are blessed. God has has brought our dreams to pass, and we're continuing to dream big dreams, and uh, we're seeing some things happen. And, you know, the Lord put it in Linda's heart back in the 80s that uh, God was going to send us to the nations. And I was, I was a little hesitant to receive that. Uh, first of all, is because she received it from a woman. And uh, back then, I still had some difficulties with women ministers. I've recovered and repented, and uh, I'm okay now. But uh, at that time, it wasn't, the, it wasn't all that I was looking for. Anyhow, Linda came out of that meeting. I excused myself to the men's room while the lady was speaking and uh, found several other men back there doing the same thing. So, <laughs> But uh, when I got back, she said, God is sending us to the nations. And I said, oh, yeah? And she said, that's right. God has just spoken that to me. And... Uh, so for a while, I, I uh, resisted that call. But uh, eventually, you know, when God has something for you, if you uh, still hang around with God, he'll eventually get that message through to you. And uh, it's the best thing that will ever happen. And so it, many years, we, we wondered how God was going to bring that to pass. And we'd, we'd make our plans, and uh, they didn't always work out. And then when we just relaxed, and I, I appreciate that verse of Scripture that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And when you just rest in him and just continue to uh, move forward with the Lord, uh, he'll bring those dreams to pass without any effort on your part. And just through some supernatural things of, of connecting us with people and with Andrew and Jamie back in 1989 at their minister's conference, uh, that was the year that really launched us into fulfilling what God had created us to do, and we're enjoying doing that now. And so I'm thankful to the Lord, thankful to Andrew and Jamie, and I still remember the day. And, you know, it's good to reflect back on things that God has done in your life. And uh, I can remember when Andrew called in, in 1994. We were living in Stephenville, Texas, pastoring the church. We'd been there for 18 years. We had founded the church. It was going well. We were living in what we thought was our dream home. We designed it. Uh, everything was good. And he called and said the Lord had uh, spoken to him about starting a Bible college and thought that uh, God was telling him I was to be a part of it and would we pray about uh, making that decision. And, of course, I got off the phone. I was very excited because I wasn't even sure Andrew knew my name. Uh, and it was a real surprise when he called. And uh, so I told Linda what the phone call was about. And she says, you know, we really don't have to pray about this. This is God. And uh, so uh, we, it wasn't that easy for me. I'm, I'm kind of drag my feet every once in a while. But anyhow, it was the best decision we probably ever made is to come and join ourselves to this ministry and watch how God through the years has developed the school 
And I want you to know, uh, I say without any kind of apology, I think we've got the best school program that exists in the world today. And it's not just because I'm a part of it. It's, I, like I say, I pastored for 21 years, so I've witnessed a lot of things in the Christian world, and I've seen a lot of people, uh, and I've seen some fruit come out of different places that didn't look like the kind of fruit that God would produce. And what's exciting is that we're able to see in all of our schools, our extension schools, we're seeing that fruit that looks like Jesus being produced. And it's the Word of God that's transforming lives, and that's what's so exciting about what God is doing. So uh, after my session, we'll take a break. We'll be back for a, a beautiful ordination service, and it'll be real special. And then right after that, we'll be going to our CBC informational meeting and sharing more in depth about the schools, our, our curriculum, the program, uh, introducing all of the directors. They'll be there to answer questions. We'll have students giving testimonies. And we'll try to answer any question that you might have. But let me tell you, the school, whichever school it is, it's a healthy, safe environment. And you've heard it mentioned several times as it's kind of a greenhouse environment. It's a healthy place to come and get established in the Lord. And once again, it's not just for people called to full-time ministry. Even though our third-year program as we begin this next year here in Colorado, we'll be putting a special emphasis on putting people into the ministry and getting that ministry training. But our two-year school is good for anybody doing anything in life because it really establishes your relationship with God. It gets you grounded in the Word of God, which is that solid foundation. And it'll help you be a better whatever you are. And so we, we just believe that two years is a short time uh, to be launched into what God has for you in the future. Amen. So enough commercialism. I want to uh, share a thought this morning, and I believe God has put this on my heart. And it really kind of fits in with all that's been said up until this point. The fact of the matter is, and it's been said many times, <clears throat> all of us are created by God on purpose. <clears throat> None of us are accidents in the family of God. God knew exactly when you were coming, and the Bible even talks that we were born not of our will, but of God's will into the family of God. So every one of us, God has chosen. Ephesians talks about in the first chapter that before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in Christ Jesus. And so we, we serve a God that, that is able to see the end from the very beginning. There's, there's nothing that catches him by surprise God is so structured and organized and everything is in, in, in order as it should be. God is a God of order. In our lives, God had a plan for every one of us. The Bible talks about in Romans eight twenty nine that those uh, that he foreknew, he predestined, meaning that he had a foreknowledge of who was going to accept Jesus. And for those who accepted Jesus, he already had a plan in place when you came. God was not surprised when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, it might have surprised some of us, but it didn't surprise God. And this is, this is the plan that, that we're beginning to see happen as we begin to pursue the things of God. He begins to unfold that plan. And all of us have a unique individual plan that God has for us. But as you begin that journey... 
and this is not to be negative, this is just to acknowledge truth, there will be some obstacles. There will be some opposition because we realize that we've got an enemy that does not want us to reach our destiny. And we could go from Genesis to Revelation and we could talk about all the men and women of the scriptures that we have a record of. And we see that God had a plan for each one of them. But as they began their journey, there would always be opposition. Even with the children of Israel, when they left the land of Egypt after being in slavery for 430 something years, even when Pharaoh let them go, his first thought was, well, go, but don't go too far. And this is basically the enemy coming to you and, and, and he'll try to prevent you from being born again. But if you get born again, he'll say, well, that's, that's a place to stop. But then if you persist and then you go on and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then he'll try to stop you there. What we need to see is that we've got an enemy that doesn't want us to, to reach our destination that God has planned for us. And so along the way, as those difficulties come, and they will come, we need to enter into those difficulties with this mindset. We win. Because God has already established that and, and uh, defeated the enemy 2,000 years ago, soundly defeated him. And the Bible says that he, he made a show of him openly, triumphing over him in it. Means he led that parade to demonstrate to us that the enemy is defeated. And so he can have no part in us unless we give him a place. Paul says to the Ephesians, give the devil no place. That means he can't have a place unless you give him one. And we need to, as we establish ourselves in the word, this is how we close those places to keep the enemy uh, from getting in and gaining victory. But even as, as we sin, as Andrew has been ministering, we need to recognize that when those things come, we've got to have a different mindset. And so there's a scripture over in Revelation 12. And I'm not sure this is in the right context and, and for whatever reason. But you know, the Spirit of God can quicken a scripture that doesn't necessarily look like it's in context. And here's the verse of scripture I want to address this morning. It's found in the 12th chapter of Revelation. And it's verse number 11. And I want to read this to you. And it says, and they, and he's talking about Christians, you and I, born again children of God. And they overcame him. And, and the margin of my Bible says that's referring to Satan. So they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And let's read the rest of the verse. And they loved not their lives to the death. The book of Revelation is giving to us here three things that will cause us to when victories, when opposition comes and enable us to reach our destination. And here in this verse of scripture, it's very clear that he is telling us that we overcome number one, by the blood of the lamb, number two, by the word of our testimony, and number three, not loving our lives unto the death or being willing to totally give our lives completely to the Lord. God is not looking for any of us to be straddling the fence. How many times do we read in scripture where God really encourages us to either get hot or get cold? He doesn't care for those who are lukewarm. And so God is saying that he's going to give us victory as we walk through life. As the scriptures already been stated, he's made us more than conquerors. 
He has made us world overcomers, but along with that provided by his grace, we have to walk this out by faith, and we have a very important part to play in all of this. God is not just sovereignly going to take you from point A to point B. It's going to require a decision and a choice on your part to move in that direction. And so here as we look at this, God is saying to us that we can overcome the devil, but not only the devil, I'm going to include anything that the world has put on us to try to limit us from reaching that destiny that God has created us to reach. We don't need to be limited by the circumstances of this world. Or as Paul wrote to the Romans, don't let the world mold you. Don't let the world uh, conform you. Don't let him, let the world put us in his image. He says we can overcome the world and the traditions of the world and the, the, the philosophy of the world. And he tells us how we can do that. And he says, number one, he talks about we do it by the blood of the lamb. Now, Revelation speaks about oftentimes the connection of the blood of Jesus to our redemption. Our redemption from the the power of the enemy and the power of darkness and the power of this world. When we arrive in heaven, we're going to be hearing praises that are being sung continuously even now about the blood of Jesus. Here in in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 it says, And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, every tongue, people, and nation. Jesus is the only one worthy to receive our praises. He is the one who died and redeemed us by his blood from the power of darkness. We need to recognize the power of of the blood of the lamb. In Hebrews, we're told that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So what I want us to really address, and sometimes I think we have an intellectual knowledge of this, but I'm believing God wants us to really zero in and get a clear understanding that it is the blood of the lamb that brings us into this position that we can begin to fulfill this destiny that God has created us to fulfill. The importance of the blood of the Lamb. And all through Scripture, beginning in the Old Testament, God began to reveal to mankind that it was going to take the shedding of blood in order to deal with the sin issue that was ushered into the world by Adam and Eve's transgression. As a result of what they did, every man, woman, boy, and girl that, that existed from Adam and Eve until the present time came into this world as sinners. We didn't become sinners because we sinned. We sinned because we were sinners. And there had to be, there was, there was, a, there was something that God said, I've got a remedy for this. And he, and he used the blood because the Bible says the life is in the blood. And so under the old covenant, God uh, uh, arranged and, and, and instructed the people that were following him the importance of a blood sacrifice. And one of the most prominent and, and, and clearest teaching about the power of the blood is there in the book of Exodus along about chapter 12 where we have the children of Israel who God had destined 
to be the most prosperous people on the planet who were to have their own land, found themselves, they were, they were the children of promise, they were the children of the covenant, but instead of enjoying all the benefits of the covenant they had with God, they were in bondage in Egypt. They were enslaved by Pharaoh. And all this is, is painting us a picture of the fact what happened to us that God never intended man to be a slave to anything, but to be a servant to the most high God. But because of sin, we ended up in the same type of bondage and slavery as the Israelites did in Egypt under the thumb of, for them, Pharaoh, for us, Satan. And it wasn't God's plan for them to be there. It wasn't his will for them to be there. This is not the destiny that he had planned for them. But by their own choices, by their own decisions, by doing their own thing, doing what was right in their own eyes, they ended up in bondage. But God remembered his covenant is what the Bible says. And when he remembered his covenant, he, he acted upon that and sent a deliverer down to bring them out. And God remembers the covenant he has made with us and sent us a deliverer. Amen. But here was the instructions given to the children of Israel. And they were invited to, to go out. And this was the grace of God being extended. Said, select your lamb without spot or without blemish. Gave them a detailed description of this lamb. And said, take this lamb. Slay the lamb. And take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost of your house. And stay in the house. In other words, once you apply the blood, stay under the blood. And then God says, and when the destroying angel, the death angel comes in, when he sees the blood, he will pass over. Or the judgment that was being pronounced would pass over those who were under the blood. And so every one of the Israelites who took advantage of God's grace, then by faith, had to go out and select a lamb. And take the lamb, slay the lamb, and apply the blood. So here's where you're seeing grace and faith working together. God, by his grace, said, here's the plan. They, by their faith, accepted the plan and worked the plan. And so they applied the blood to the doorpost of their house and they stayed in the house. And when judgment came over, they were all spared and as a result were set free, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Now you and I, as this is so important that God instituted with Israel a feast that had to be celebrated called the Feast of Passover. And the purpose of this feast was to continually remind the people of what had happened to set them free from the bondage that they had had in Egypt. And so every time they came together around the Passover meal, they would remember the shed blood of that lamb that brought them redemption, that brought them freedom, that brought them deliverance, that brought them, and if you'll continue to read the story, brought them prosperity, brought them healing, brought them protection, brought them everything they needed. It was all purchased by the blood of that little lamb. The power of the blood. And because of that blood that was applied by faith, they were able to overcome all of those years of slavery. All of those years of being in bondage. All those years of having to answer to Pharaoh. They were set free from that. They overcame that by the blood of the lamb. 
And all through, as you continue to read through the Old Testament, you read about all of the blood covenants that God made with Abraham, that, that God made with Moses, that God made with David. And then as you trace through all of those, those blood covenants and the shedding of the blood and, and all of the things that came. And, and you know, isn't it, isn't it sad today that so much of religion has wanted to remove the blood from what's being taught? It's like we don't, want to, we don't want to go back and be like those people who didn't know any better. And talk. Hey, the blood is what it's all about. Without the blood, you and I would be lost and on our way to eternal hell and damnation. But because of the blood, and God said it's the blood. And once again, the life is in the blood. That's why it's so important. And under the Old Testament, and, and this is something that we need to look at. When the people were, and God had them to design the tabernacle, and it says it was designed based upon a figure of what was reality in heaven. And so in heaven, we, we can see from looking at the tabernacle and the temple that there's a place, there's a throne room where God Almighty is seated. And in that throne room where, where, the, where God Almighty is seated, there, there is a mercy seat that in the tabernacle and the temple were based upon, they took the pattern of what they saw in heaven by the Spirit and, and put it physically here. And of course, in the Old Testament, the high priest once a year would enter into that place where God dwelt and bring the blood of an animal. And it wasn't just any animal. God gave great detail about what kind of animal needed to be brought. But in it, the interesting thing, the people were responsible for bringing the sacrifice, but God never looked at the people. <laughs> they were accepted based upon the sacrifice. And under the old covenant, the priest would come in with the blood of that slain animal and present it on the mercy seat there in the tabernacle. And God would say, that's sufficient to cover the sins. But the Bible tells us that as a result of these blood covenants down through the ages, one of the products of those blood covenants was the Lord Jesus Christ, who descended from Abraham and right on down the line, the son of David. And now we have Jesus coming into the picture. And at that time, they were celebrating the Passover on a regular basis to remind them of what? Of what had been wrought for them by the shed blood of the Lamb. And the Passover lamb that was slain. And every time they had this observance, they would remember the power of the blood that had set them free from bondage. That had set them free from sickness. That had set them free from poverty. And like I say, you can read it all there in, in the book of Exodus. How God brought them out healthy and wealthy and free. And it was all because of the blood of the Passover lamb. And so when Jesus came into the world... He knew what his mission was going to be. And for these three years after he began to minister and we saw all of the wonderful signs, wonders, and miracles and the awesome teaching and the revelation that he was giving of God and demonstrating to people how this life should be lived. When he, when he presented to us, he said, I only do 
what I see my father doing. Well, this is what Andrew's talking about, looking up, looking in, into the spirit realm and seeing what God would have us to do in the same manner that Jesus looked up and would only do what he saw the father doing. Well, he wasn't seeing him do it physically. He was seeing it in the realm of the spirit and then he was manifesting it in the flesh. And he said, and I only say what I hear my father say. Once again, only with spiritual ears. He wasn't hearing audible voices. And we're told that we have those same abilities to see into the spirit, to hear the spirit. And God, and, and it says so many times in the book of Revelation, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. We have those ears and we're listening to what the spirit is saying. And so Jesus comes demonstrating life and, and even says to you and I, the works that I do, will you do also? And as the father sent me, so send I you. And the same power that enabled me to do these things now dwells in you. When I go, it's going to be better for you when I leave, because when I leave, I'm going to send the spirit who will come and abide in you forever. And isn't it awesome that all of us now, because of what Jesus did, have the very uh, fullness of God living on the inside of us. But there was a way that this temple had to be prepared in order to receive that holy God. And so Jesus, as he's approaching his time to go to Calvary's cross, he calls the followers together. And he says, I want one more time before I leave. I want to celebrate this Passover meal with you. And he brought them into that place in the upper room and and everything was prepared. And he began to teach them and bring them to a reality that only up until this time they had looked back at an event that had happened hundreds and thousands of years before when Israel came out of, of Egypt. They had remembered that it was the blood of the lamb that had brought about that deliverance. Now Jesus says there's about to be a transition take place. There's about to be an event that's going to cause you not to think about coming out of Egypt. But that was all a picture. That was all a type. That was all a shadow. But the real is about to come. And so he brought out the Passover meal. And he took the bread. And he broke the bread. And he says, I want you to know, this is my body. Which is broken for you. And what he is saying is that as that lamb was slain back in in Egypt... The people were told to take the lamb and after applying the blood to consume the lamb, to eat the body. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a revelation of what you've been celebrating as a type and shadow up until this point. And, and, and this is the last time that it'll be celebrated in this form on earth. And so he took the bread and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. And we know that as a result of what Jesus did there in that last time they celebrated the Passover in the upper room, he instituted for you and I, the church, what we call the Lord's Supper or what we call communion, which sad to say has kind of been uh, made a religious routine and activity in so many circles. But listen to what, what God is trying to communicate through this. Jesus then took the cup and he said, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant. This new relationship that I'm establishing with mankind. This cup represents my shed blood. And I want you to know when you partake of this, this is what's bringing into effect your redemption. 
This is when you're being redeemed from every bondage. This is when you're being redeemed from sickness. This is when you're being redeemed from the curse of the law. This is when you're being redeemed from poverty. This is what it's all about. It's when you partake of my blood. Then that's what sets you free from any bondage that you've had in the past. And so he celebrated that Passover meal with his disciples and gave them the revelation of what the Passover was all about. And Paul the Apostle writes to us, Christ, our Passover lamb. He is that lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. But once again, for it to be of any value or effect for you and I, you know what it takes? An application by faith. It's all been provided by grace. But how many of you know we have to receive it by faith? And so then Jesus, just a few days later, false arrest, mock of a trial, taken to Calvary's tree, the nails driven into his hands and his feet, the, the spear into his side, the blood shed. And Jesus hanging there on the cross at the, the time that, that justice that God had demanded on mankind had been satisfied. And he dismissed his spirit. And we know that they took his body down off the cross. But we know that his spirit man was very busy the next three days. We don't have a chronological account of what all took place in those three days. But we know in some point in time in those three days, his spirit man descended into the lower parts of the earth, into the place of torment, the place of hell, where Satan had helped every man, woman, boy, girl captive from the beginning. This was a place that Jesus gave us insight into when he said that with the teaching of the rich man and Lazarus. And he talked about when the rich man died, he went into the place called torment. When the poor man died, he went into the place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. But all of them were helped in this place. It could be better identified as the place of departed souls. And the reason they were all being held captive is because every one of them from Adam still possessed a sin nature. Those who had had faith in God and had brought the blood sacrifices, their sin had been covered. So they were in the place of, of Abraham's bosom or paradise. Those who had rejected God were in the place of torment. But this is where Jesus' spirit went when he died at Calvary's cross because Satan was claiming everyone. But this time Satan overplayed his hands. And he took a man into that place who had no sin in him. He had overstepped the game. And what he thought was going to be his greatest victory turned out to be his soundest defeat. Now, I like to give a little paraphrased edition of the next account. And uh, you won't find this in Scripture, but I like it so much I'm going to tell it again because I want to hear it myself. I just see that when, when Jesus entered into that place of departed souls, I believe all the little hairy demons of hell were excited, jumping around and, and uh, jeering at him and pinking at him. And, and, you know, he just walked through there and just shook them off with no problem. And he didn't mess around with all of those little, little demons. He just walked right to the main office. And uh, there, there Satan's receptionist was sitting and Jesus didn't even stop to get an appointment. He just, he just kicked the door open and walked in and there sat Satan behind his big mahogany desk, leaning back in his big leather chair, smoking his big cigar. Just so content that he had won uh, the battle. He had, he had killed the son of God 
And he'd been working on that through the ages. He knew Jesus was coming. He just didn't know when he's going to show up. But now he had him, so he thought. And I believe Jesus just walked in, no appointment necessary, just walked in. And I can just picture it in my mind as he reached across that big desk and grabbed Satan by the nap of the neck and pulled him over that desk, threw him down on the floor, took his heel and put on his head and gave it a good old twist. Just to fulfill scripture that uh, in Genesis, it said that his heel would be bruised, but he would bruise Satan's head. I believe it happened like that. I believe he squeezed it so much it kind of bruised. And then he reached down and took from him the keys to death, hell, and the grave and went through unlocking all the Old Testament saints. And he says, guys, we're out of here. And he led that triumphant parade. And the Bible says, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. He arose a victor. Now, the Bible also says in that three-day period, he also ascended. And I don't know the order. This might have taken place first. But at some point in that three-day period, he took his own blood that he had shed on Calvary's cross. And he ascended into the throne room of heaven. Remember, we talked about that's where God was seated. And there was the mercy seat of heaven. The mercy seat of God. And Jesus walked in before the Father God and took his blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat of heaven. And God looked at that and said, that's sufficient to take care of the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future. Once and for all, once and for all, the blood was sufficient to deal with every sin. And I love the song that Charlie and Jill do, one drop of blood that day was enough for humanity. I want you to know we can't ever underestimate the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, God says that's a price that paid for the, re the removal of sin for every person who ever would or ever will live past, present, and future. And when God saw the blood, he said, their sins and iniquities, I'll remember no more forever. I'm telling you, it was eradicated. And one time Jesus did it and that's all it took. This is why we can read this scripture now and understand that we overcome the world, the devil, the flesh, or anything that comes against us, number one, by the blood of the lamb. There's power in the blood. There's wonder-working power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the lamb. But there's more to this. <laughs> That's what establishes us in our place. This is what makes it possible. This is what qualifies us to be in the family of God. This is what makes, it, uh, uh, makes us be able to come right into the presence of Almighty God without fear, without condemnation. We've been justified. We've been purified. We've been sanctified. And now we stand spotless in the sight of God, approved and received and accepted in the beloved. You know, all of us like people to like us, but at the end of the day, I've been accepted by God. So the rest of you just have to line up. 
And I tell you, what a security that brings to understand that it doesn't make any difference who rejects you. God's accepted you. And it's based upon the blood of the lamb. But then it says, now, next it says, take this blood. That's what Jesus did. But now our part is in overcoming. How do we do that? It says, by the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts that we were going to receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon us. And we would be witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What does a witness do? He gives testimony. He testifies. He gives a witness of something that has happened to them. And so how are we going to overcome? Well, we give our testimony. What is our testimony? It's based upon what the Word of God says has happened to us. It's what God says about us. It's when we come into agreement with God that we say the same thing that God says. Amen? And so as we look through and we begin to see how powerful the Word is, we need to, we need to know that, that we've got to say what God says about us. And after we receive this power, we begin to speak. The words that we use every day are part of our testimony. There's power in the spoken word. And everything we say is a part of our testimony. So, here we go. What words are you going to use? What words are you going to speak to the world? What words are you going to speak? If the world says you're sick, what's your word? What is your testimony going to be? It needs to be, by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. If the, if the world comes against you and begins to say to you, well, you need to worry about what you're going to eat or wear. What should your testimony be? I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things that I need to eat, need to wear, where to live, is going to be added to me. That's my testimony. I'm seeking the kingdom and therefore all of these things are going to be added unto me. Added unto me. What shall we say then if they say we need to live in fear? What should our testimony be? I'll not fear because God hadn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. These, these are what we're talking about. How do we overcome is when anything comes against us, God has already given us an answer to it. If he comes to us and the world says to us, you're worthless. What should your testimony be? Don't talk to me about being worthless. I was bought with a price, the highest price that's ever been paid. And the price paid determines the value. And God paid the highest price that could ever be paid. That makes me valuable in the sight of God. I've been bought with a price and I'm going to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which belong to God. I'm going to testify that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm created in righteousness and true holiness. That's my testimony. And that's based upon what God says about me. Then he goes, what if, what if the world comes to you and says, well, you're not forgiven. What's your testimony going to be? What's your testimony going to be? We're going to have to declare the blood of the lamb has cleansed me and made me spotless. Jesus, uh, the father said in the book of Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. I want you to know, folks, when, when people talk about us being sinners, and, and how many religious people do we hear talking about, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Hey, you were an old sinner. You were saved by grace, but now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old has passed away, the new has come. 
And he who knew no sin became sin for me in order that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We need to declare, yes, I'm forgiven. I'm spotless. I'm, I'm sin free standing in the presence of almighty God. And the throne room has been opened to me and I've been invited to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Folks, we need to get our testimony lining up with what God says about us. Not what the world says about us, not what circumstances say about us, not what religion says about us, but what does the Word of God say about us? And of course, in our school, our first year, this is what we hammer in. This is what we go over and over, and we say it in so many ways, you're going to catch it one way or the other. That you have an intimate relationship with God, that you are accepted in the blood, that God loves you unconditionally and has got a great plan for your life. And he wants to walk with you and talk with you just as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm telling you, God wants that kind of relationship and has equipped us to be able to do that. And it started because of what Jesus did through the blood of the lamb. But it's completed by our testimony that's added to it. What do we say? How many times have we heard Christians? Oh, I just can't hear what God is saying. But what does the word say? The word says we're his sheep and we hear his voice and no other will we follow. As a pastor, one of the things I used to hear all the time, oh, pastor, I just can't hear God. And then the next statement is, but the devil told me. (laughs) What's wrong with this picture that Christians can hear so clearly what the devil is saying and they're having a real struggle hearing what God's saying? It's because we haven't added to our testimony that we can hear the voice of God. We can hear what he is saying. He is our shepherd and we are his sheep and we do hear his voice and none other will we follow. But you know what? You have to purpose to hear it. You have to, you have to make a decision and, and begin to declare, I do hear the voice of God. And so we, we see the blood of the lamb and then we see... It's the word of our testimony added to it. And we overcome all these obstacles that might be thrown our way. But there's another part of the verse that nobody ever wants to talk about. Matter of fact, usually when it's quoted, it's not even quoted. But let's read it. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And here's the part that we never address. And they love not their lives unto the death. This verse tells us that they love not their lives unto the death. How many Christians today are really willing to die for what they believe? Now you and I, not by anything that we did on our own, live in a wonderful country. It has problems, but you know it had its founding based upon a freedom to worship God as we see fit. And very few people in America today are persecuted because of their faith. We may be headed into a day, and I'm not prophesying it, I'm not desiring it, but I wouldn't be surprised. It seems like the trend of the world is going to where what we believe is now being challenged and I wouldn't be surprised to see a little persecution in the future, but right now we basically are not having to pay a high price for what we believe. And as a result, we don't put a high value on what we believe. Too many of us just take our relationship with God for granted. And we're thankful for it, but we really don't see what has been paid in order to provide it for us. There are countries even today as we speak where people who 
make a commitment to Jesus Christ are giving up their lives. They're being beheaded. They're being persecuted. They're being tormented. And yet in all of those areas where the persecution and, and, the, uh, and the, uh, the opposition to it, that seems to be where the strongest Christians are. Once again, we need to begin to take seriously God's admonition here about the fact, not only is it what Jesus did and what our words say, but are we willing to give up our lives for what we believe? Andrew has really been making reference to it. And we can just see Peter saying, well, I see Jesus and I'm going to step out of the boat. And if I drown, I'm going to drown trying to reach Jesus. He was willing, and, and let's just face it, this is a real situation that Andrew's been ministered about. It's a real sea. It's a real storm. It's a real possibility they're all going to die. All the circumstances are there that death could be the result. And yet Peter says, I'm willing, because of what I believe, to risk my life to get to Jesus. And all through the uh, the, the Bible, we read about men and women who believe so strongly that it didn't make any difference. And look at Paul the Apostle, who is probably the, one of the best examples we can find in the entire scriptures about what he was willing to do to, to maintain his relationship with Jesus Christ. And we read about him being shipwrecked. We read about him being stoned. We, receive, we read about him being whipped and, and he talks about all these things that he endures physically. But he, you know what? He says these things are just light afflictions. Because he says, I want to gain what Jesus has purchased for me. I don't claim that I've attained yet, but I continue to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. That's in Christ Jesus. And for me to die is gain. He, he just said, my life is not my own. So if I have to give it for what I believe, that's no big issue. And yet, because we live in such comfortable, and I know some of you are going through difficult times, but in relationship, what's happening in other parts of the world, we got it easy, folks. And as a result, we don't value the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. And we need to start thinking about how committed to the Lord are we? How how Willing are we to give up our all just to be pleasing to what he would ask us to do? Are we willing to really give our life for him? And, and too many times we look at that in a negative way. But if we look at it in the real way, whatever we give to God, it's going to be multiplied back to us. You're not going to outgive God. And it's never going to be to your, your detriment when you give something to the Lord. It's always for your value, for your benefit, and, and he will add to it. So let's just remember and, and challenge ourselves on a daily basis about what the blood of the Lamb has supplied for us. What He gave, His life, shed His blood that we could stand spotless, guiltless in the presence of an almighty, holy God. And because of that, and adding to it our testimony, and willing to give our lives for what we believe. The Bible says that we can overcome the devil. We can overcome anything the world throws at us. We can overcome any obstacle that might come up. And we come out victorious, triumphant, overcomers, more than conquerors, all those things that God has created us to be. Amen.
Isn't that awesome to think about? What a privilege. What a privilege, what an honor for God to look down through the eons of time and see us and say, I choose you. Oh, man, isn't that awesome? Well, you know, I'm not a, not a vocalist, but let's all stand and sing. And Jamie, could you do, there's power in the blood? More or less? <laughs> well, that'd be more than I could do. <laughs> So we'll sing this and then, then we'll be uh, dismissed for a break. So let's, let's just lift our voices and declare there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. <laughs> 